Welcome to Stress-Free Living. I'm Gregory Landsman. How have we as a society reached a point where we are literally dying to be thin? Where we fat shame others without even thinking and our young people are undergoing more elective cosmetic surgery than any time in history? In this podcast series, I'm looking at body image with Dr. Gemma Sharp. Body image dissatisfaction is certainly not a new issue. In 2003, I did research in primary schools to establish the levels of body dissatisfaction with children aged 6 to 12. I found that 96% didn't like the way they looked and that children as young as 6 were on diets. In the years since then, with the growing influence of social media and the ability to see our own reflection 24 hours a day, the stakes got even higher. But what really surprises me is that as little as 12 months ago, the world had the opportunity to reset. As the pandemic raged around the world and we were locked in our homes, the world stepped up. Most days we saw community outreach and acts of kindness taking place everywhere. Over this period, I spent a lot of this time moderating mental wellness rooms on Clubhouse with doctors and psychiatrists from different countries. Each day, we would speak with people from around the world, helping them to lower their stress levels and cope with their new reality. What was clear at this point was that people weren't focused on the outside. It wasn't about who was thinner, richer or more popular. It was about supporting other human beings in need. This was a challenging time, but also one that showed hope for a different kind of future. But as we emerge once again from our homes and get back into the world again, it has become clear in terms of body dissatisfaction. We are even worse off than before, and that the amount of time in front of a screen has only heightened our levels of body image dissatisfaction. So to help me delve a bit deeper into this issue, I'd like to introduce Dr. Gemma Sharp. Gemma is a clinical psychologist specialising in the treatment of body image concerns, eating disorders and body dysmorphic disorder. She also leads the body image research group at the Monash Alfred Psychiatry Research Centre. Gemma holds a Bachelor of Science in Molecular Biology, a Bachelor of Science Honours degree in Microbiology and Immunology, a Master's degree in Oncology, a Graduate Diploma in Psychology and a PhD in clinical psychology. Welcome, Gemma. It's great to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. It's a real pleasure to be here. Body image dissatisfaction has been torturing us forever in one form or another. I remember a time growing up when everyone was on a banana and milk diet or signing up to Gloria Marshall to lose weight. Our world offers short-term solutions in the form of miracle diets, programs, tablets, and fads of every kind. People are exposed to messaging every day that tells them they can be different if they do this or that. On that basis, do you believe that this is an individual issue or a societal issue or both? So body dissatisfaction or having a, a negative body image is sadly very common in our society. Over 80% of adult women are unhappy with their bodies and uh, certainly it's a problem in younger people too. 
And I, I just wanted to clarify our definition of body image while I have a chance because I think it's a term that's bandied around so much in the media and in literature without us really having a good understanding of what it is. And so when we uh, research body image, we look at four different aspects. So the first is perceptual body image. So that's what you see in the mirror, and that's what quite often people talk about as their sense of body image. But there's three other areas that we also talk about. So there's the way we feel about our bodies, so that's called affective body image. And these feelings might range from quite positive to quite negative, unfortunately. There's also how we think about our bodies, our thoughts about our bodies, and that's called cognitive body image. And again, this can range from quite positive to quite negative. And finally, behavioral body image. So the behaviors we engage in as a result of our sense of body image. And uh, this can be quite positive things, but also quite negative things like trying to lose weight in harmful ways. So that's body image. And as I mentioned before, unfortunately, a lot of us have a very negative sense across those four aspects. And this is an individual experience. However, the way we feel about our bodies is definitely influenced by social and cultural factors. It's not something we think up by ourselves by any stretch. I'd like to dig a bit deeper into the issue of where body dissatisfaction originates. In the research world, we tend to talk about three distinct sociocultural factors that impact how we feel about our bodies and often lead us to have a negative body image. And these are the media, uh, peers, so that's friends, partners, colleagues, those kinds of people. And the third is our families. So I think it's, it's pretty obvious that the, the media impacts how we feel about ourselves and our bodies. So back in the day when we first started researching about body image, we would talk about things like uh, movies, magazines, movie clips, etc., being the, the main sources of unhelpful media and showing idealized body representations. But now we're all very much intertwined with media because via our smartphones, so in our pockets, in our handbags, etc., we have access to the world of social media and we think that that might be promoting a lot of uh, negative body image because media has become so immersive over time. In terms of peers, so as I mentioned, friends, partners, colleagues, uh, we often talk about the way our bodies look with these people. And unfortunately, these conversations can tend to be quite negative. Uh, there's a phenomenon called fat talk uh, that we often research. So that's generally um, normal weight people uh, sort of saying that they're, they're fat or they're large and uh, trying to seek reassurance from the other person, but it's a very, very unhelpful thing to do. Um, so it is very much the, the way we talk with our peers about our bodies. And of course, there's uh, appearance-related teasing or bullying, which is very rife on social media, but has been around as long as there have been people, unfortunately. Um, and I think we've all experienced appearance-related teasing in our lives to some extent, um, sadly. I have my brothers to thank for my first dose of appearance-related teasing. I wonder if they might listen into this. And uh, the third factor I mentioned was families. And our families really set us up for how we feel about our bodies. They're the first people we interact with as little kids. 
Um, so we watch how our parents um, think and feel and talk about their bodies as a bit of a guide for how we might feel ourselves. But also um, parents can definitely make uh, direct comments to kids about their bodies, things like uh, perhaps you shouldn't be eating that or um, that clothing doesn't look good on you. Even as directors, uh, you need to lose weight and, and sending their children off to quote unquote fat camps, which is just a terrible thing to do to a child. So when it comes down to it, um, body image dissatisfaction in particular is a very individual experience. However, it is impacted by everything around us, the people, the media, technology, etc. It's um, a complex interplay of factors. So Gemma, can you talk us through what has been the impact of the pandemic on body image perception? And why are we in a worse position now than before? So body image dissatisfaction was an issue well before the pandemic started. However, this COVID-19 pandemic has really put body image dissatisfaction on steroids. We are seeing so many issues at a clinical level, so many people wanting support for uh, body image concerns and eating disorders uh, that we are just simply overwhelmed. And I think there's a couple of things that have been going on that have really made body image such a big issue during this pandemic. Um, the first being just the big disruptions to our daily lives. Uh, so that might be um, working from home or, or not working at all, um, attending school uh, from home instead of going to a physical classroom, not being able to uh, see our friends, our families, our loved ones and engage in our usual exercise routines. And this has caused a very high level of anxiety, as you might expect in the entire population. And what happens is when we get anxious, we try and control things that we believe are within our control. And um, unfortunately, we've been fed this uh, narrative that our weight and our appearance are within our control if we just try hard enough. And that I, that is so not the case. Uh, they are very much not within our control and that's why I always promote body acceptance rather than trying to change our bodies. However, when people are anxious, uh, hanging their hat on the issue of body image can sometimes feel like they're regaining control. So that's, that's one thing that's happened. And not to mention all of these unhelpful messages on social media about uh, weight gain during quarantine, um, things like the hashtags around quarantine 15, so gaining 15 pounds or quarantine kilos, COVID kilos, those, those kinds of unhelpful messages have really been prompting a lot of body image dissatisfaction and uh, pushing people to go on really harmful diets and engage in other eating disordered behaviours. Something else that has really uh, increased during the pandemic is our use of video conferencing platforms. And uh, a lot of these platforms show us our own appearance or our own face as we're talking to someone else. That's something we're not used to in our conversations face to face. And uh, it means that if we stare at our own image for long enough, we're bound to find some flaws, quote unquote, that we'd never seen before. And uh, I and my colleagues have published some work on uh, Zoom dysmorphia, basically uh, seeing um, 
appearance flaws or believing that you're seeing appearance flaws by looking at your own appearance in the Zoom camera. So that's, that's another thing that's been very different during the pandemic, less face-to-face, -face, more video conferencing and more looking at our own appearance through webcams, which we wouldn't have done before. And um, just uh, people saying as well that um, being, uh, being healthy, exercising a lot protects you against um, contracting COVID-19. As much as that may have some validity, I think that message has been pushed a little bit too far and uh, people are uh, engaging in dangerous levels of exercise and um, really restrictive eating and things like that in order to uh, believe that they will have greater immunity against COVID-19. Um, whereas my advice is to get vaccinated, get your boosters, all of that. Um, so they're just a few different phenom phenomena that uh, have really popped up during COVID-19 to add to what was already a very high level of body image dissatisfaction throughout society. How damaging is the exposure to the new technology in the form of filtering and selfies? Because of smartphones and social media, we really have access to photo editing technologies that we'd never had before. Usually airbrushing and that kind of editing was reserved for celebrities, movie stars on the cover of magazines. But in the last, I suppose, five years or so, uh, with a few clicks, we can all access that technology through filters on social media. They first came out on uh, Snapchat, but then Instagram soon followed. And I think something that's been really interesting in the last couple of years is that we can filter not only uh, static photos, but now videos. So there is nothing that can't be retouched. And I think this is a pretty scary phenomenon, actually, because um, it means that changing our appearance seems really, really easy just with a few clicks. And uh, I've spoken with a lot of young people and, and they've said that they would actually never post a photo online of themselves that hadn't been filtered. They are so concerned about how people would think about their natural photos. And I think it sets up very unrealistic expectations for how we're meant to appear in photos and videos. I'm certainly not opposed to all forms of filters. I think some are really fun and um, potentially some of the listeners might remember the, um, the lawyer in the States who got stuck as a cat during a court hearing on Zoom and the, the manager who got stuck as a potato. I think there are some really fun things we can do with filters, uh, but certainly the appearance enhancing ones, particularly if overused, uh, tend to create a really unrealistic um, image of ourselves and, uh, and certainly drives the demand for cosmetic procedures and drives body dissatisfaction. Why is body dissatisfaction more common in young women? Body dissatisfaction is more common in women, particularly younger women. However, our research shows that it doesn't necessarily disappear as women age. It's not a greater sense of body appreciation like we would hope. Uh, body dissatisfaction tends to continue in the older age. And certainly it, 
it does disproportionately affect women, but uh, it also impacts people of all genders, backgrounds, sexual orientation. So I just want to clarify that body dissatisfaction can impact absolutely anyone. But as I've said, body dissatisfaction is common, particularly in younger women. And uh, we think, I mean, there, there's so many reasons for this. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, women and particularly younger women are very much valued for their appearance. I, I wish it wasn't the case, but it is uh, true. And so um, monitoring uh, our appearance as young women is very important. And uh, there's certainly a lot of benefits that unfortunately come with being more beautiful, which our research has shown. Uh, some a bit of research I absolutely love and, and hate at the same time is that um, it was actually shown that paramedics would spend more time resuscitating someone who was perceived to be more attractive than someone who wasn't. So literally, uh, attractiveness can save your life uh, when you're calling a paramedic. So it's not that uh, young women are vain or vacuous. It's literally that their value in society is too much tied up into appearance and they're just trying to capitalize on that. And unfortunately, this means that uh, body dissatisfaction or having a negative body image is very common in this group. We know that the impacts from body dissatisfaction can take many forms. Can you tell us about what are common impacts of this disorder and what is fueling them? For example, disconnectedness, isolation, loneliness, disordered eating, depression and anxiety. I think most people would be aware of some of the impacts of negative body image or body dissatisfaction. And, and most people would think of eating disorders as the most common outcome of body dissatisfaction. And, and that is true. And eating disorders are far more prevalent than anyone realizes. Uh, in fact, uh, the latest statistics showed that one in five young Australians meet criteria for an eating disorder. So this is extremely concerning and is very much becoming the, the next pandemic, I think. Um, so yes, eating disorders and body dissatisfaction. There's also um, subclinical, uh, which we call disordered eating. So this is still very harmful. This might be uh, limiting food intake, engaging in some excessive exercise. Chewing and spitting is something people don't often um, think about, but basically people wanting to eat the foods that they like, but being so concerned about the calories that they spit it out. Um, so that's something that's unfortunately becoming very common again. So disordered eating, uh, an even bigger problem than um, eating disorders, and certainly disordered eating can progress to an eating disorder if not treated. But I think some of the less common outcomes people think of are things like um, mood issues, like depression and anxiety, uh, because body image is so core uh, about how we think about ourselves, our overall self-esteem, such that if we don't have a, a positive body image, it really impacts how we see about, think about ourselves and uh, can lead to, to mood disorders. Something else is um, substance abuse, again, related to uh, depression and anxiety. In order to try and 
uh, elevate our mood or subdue our mood, we might in, engage in um, alcohol and, and drug abuse. So that's something else. And I think one of the more hidden disorders that's associated with body dissatisfaction is body dysmorphic disorder. And um, that actually impacts 1% to 2% of the population. So it's actually really quite common. And it's actually, uh, I suppose, equally common in men and women, um, whereas most people think it just impacts women. Um, and we tend to think of body dysmorphic disorder in the context of cosmetic surgery. And this is because body dis in body dysmorphic disorder, the person is obsessed uh, with a perceived flaw in their appearance, which is either very minor or it can't even be seen by other people. And of course, if you think you have a flaw in your appearance, you're going to go to the cosmetic surgeon. You're not going to go to the psychologist. So this very much goes underreported, um, but is something I really want to showcase more because um, uh, having concerns with your appearance, although is considered to be, I hate to say it, a normative discontent, body dysmorphic disorder is like that times a million. So people may be concerned to leave their homes for fear of their floor, their appearance floor being seen by others. They might not be able to work or study. Um, in even severe cases, I know that um, young people won't even have dinner with their own parents. They won't even let their own parents see them. So this is very debilitating, uh, just like eating disorders, and we should really be taking this very seriously. So yes, body dissatisfaction, a range of outcomes like eating disorders, disordered eating, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, body dysmorphic disorder, and just overall impacts on self-esteem and how we view ourselves. From a clinical point of view, is the focus on prevention or early intervention rather than cure? From a clinical point of view, I would always prefer to be working in the prevention or early intervention space rather than cure. Um, I realize this is a big goal, but uh, certainly the research projects I'm heavily involved with are very much oriented towards young people and preventing them from developing a uh, sense of negative body image or body dissatisfaction. But from my clinical work, I also work with people who've had eating disorders for decades. They might have been diagnosed at eight, nine, 10 years old, and I'm working with them aged uh, in their 30s or 40s. So they can't even remember a life before having body dissatisfaction and an eating disorder. And I wish our statistics were better for recovery from eating disorders, but they're really not. We talk more about management and promoting quality of life. Um, however, if we can catch it early, so I've certainly worked with um, young teens who have eating disorders and they are much more likely to have a positive outcome than sadly people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and, and beyond. Um, it's just, yeah, the earlier we can get in, the, the quicker we can change the path of it and uh, help this person live a fulfilling and meaningful life that isn't so, um, isn't so obsessive about their thoughts about their bodies 
and their relationship with food because I can assure you I've worked with people who that is pretty much their entire existence and uh, that's a very big shame when that's the case. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you, Gemma, for your insights and for the clarity that you are bringing to this critical issue. You are a powerful voice whose work is making a genuine difference to people's lives. Body image dissatisfaction is not just about not liking the way you look in the mirror. It is often the precursor to low self-esteem, lack of connection to others, being bullied and disordered eating. And it is easy to consider it to be an individual issue. But in truth, it is not just an individual issue. It is a societal one that goes to the heart of how we treat people who are different from us, the level of respect we show others, and our willingness to be kind to someone just because it's the right thing to do. Before I go, let me leave you with this thought. That as human beings, we are meant to be different. And when we understand this truth, we will no longer hurt ourselves and others for the simple things that make us human. Until next time, I'm Gregory Landsman. This is Stress-Free Living. Stay blessed and do good in the world. Keep it soft and warm.